I just want to know like what the hours are of a place and someone has gone to like Taco Bell and it's like my crunch wrap was was melted the wrong way and it's like you're reviewing Taco Bell on the internet. <laughs> Welcome in, everybody. This is episode 16 of Glass City Game Time. Still one of America's great sports podcasts. Still brought to you by The Blade. My name is, still, Corey Christen, and thanks for listening. We always appreciate you checking us out and for listening to this episode number 16. Joining me today, sitting to my left, is Bowling Green Beat reporter Nick Petrovich. who just came back from Akron covering Bowling Green at Akron, which we'll get into momentarily. But I have to ask, because that's my neck of the woods over there. Did you go to Swenson's? No, because Swenson's is the most overrated thing (sighs) in the world. Phil Kaplan, have you had Swenson's in your life? I've I've galley-boyed. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't believe you just denigrated Swenson's so hard right out of the box. People talk about Swenson's like it's a deity, and it's... It's fine. So it's you just, just okay. don't believe in it. It's okay. You're Ace Winsons. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. I gotta have a Galley Boy, the Cajun Teasers with a little ranch, and then a California to top it off. In California, at, at, at Swenson's, for those of you that don't know, is grape, drank, pop. Not drink, drank, pop. That just has like this citrus and almost like an orange zest into it. I love it. Fantastic. Well, and the Galley Boy comes with a, with a, the, like the, cartoon olive stuck through the top, yeah. which is just a great touch. I Wrapped mean, that's, that's incredible move. No no flashy paper, just tinfoil, the olive and the toothpick, and that sauce, that, that barbecue mayo, it, you could just drink it. So sorry that Nick feels that way. Sorry if he offended anybody listening in. I hope I offended all of you. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, Nick was in Akron covering a basketball game, which turned out for Bowling Green as perhaps the biggest game on the schedule thus far this season. Uh, BG at the Akron Zips, and Akron pulled away later on. It was a 74-59 to victory for the Zips. Bowling Green now 18-7, 9-3 in the MAC, which is important because they still lead the conference by a half a game. And, Nick, Lauren Christian Jackson was just a little too much for Bowling Green down the stretch in a game that really the first half was an offensive struggle for both sides, and then they both picked it up in the second half. Yeah, Bowling Green had a really good stretch to start the second half. Um, got a turnover that became a, an and one at the other side, hit a three, tied the game. Um, at one point, they they got it down to one with a little more than 12 minutes to go, and then Akron just really took over from there. Um, Jackson is really good. I think if the season ends today, he's probably the player of the year. Um, BG just didn't have what it needed shooting-wise or defensively. Uh, the, the big thing for me was free throws. Um, and even I asked Michael Huger about it after the game. They gave Akron 27 free throws and took 11 themselves. And that's your ball game. He's like, 27 free throws. That tells you that we were fouling all night. And that pretty much that pretty much did it. Um, they didn't shoot their way back into the game. And they just weren't getting stops like they'd been in these other MAC wins. Yeah, Akron ma- making double the amount of free throws that BG attempted. And Bowling Green shooting just 6 of 25 from three-point range. And 24-67 overall from the field. So an overall cold night. But this, despite that, for, oh, a good, what, 28 minutes there, 
it was still close. And you could tell that these two teams were relatively evenly contested. Yeah, no, for sure. it was close for sure. Um, Akron then went on that, it was a 14-4 to run, and really Bowling Green chased the whole rest of the way. And the thing that was disappointing for Bowling Green is they created quite a few good offensive looks, and it was just it was one of those nights where they weren't hitting anything. They had, they had a night a couple weeks ago on the road at Toledo where it felt like all the threes went down, even some that, some that weren't particularly good looks, and yesterday was the complete opposite. Try to stay in front of the mic. You mentioned Toledo, and before we get into kind of the bigger picture discussion here, Dylan Fry really shockingly left the team hours before Bowling Green and Toledo were to tip off last weekend. Do we have an update on anything regarding Fry? What's going on? Could he be expected back? What's the uh, update there? It's very cloudy. It was cloudy then. Um, I got word probably two hours before the game that he wasn't going to play. Um, And then, you know, we all get a computer handout about an hour before tip saying that he's it was two sentences. He's left the program, and he's. We wish him well. That's like, well, okay. Um, so you know, we asked the, the line of questions you might expect. I asked in particular, is he welcome back? If he would like to be back, and Michael Huger said, "We'll see." Beyond that, um, details have been very scant. So, in the absence of Dylan Fry, Bowling Green does defeat Toledo, and. Now they're kind of looking to replace that factor off of the bench, and you've seen Trey Diggs enter the starting lineup, at least when uh, Justin Turner was down against Akron. He had three points. You saw Marlon Sierra. He had four points off the bench. Uh, went 0 for 3 from 3. Diggs made 1 of 3 from 3. I guess we could kind of launch a point off of that to ask and to kind of float around. Is it going to be reliant on those two to be the primary options off of the bench? Not necessarily, because those two guys' roles apparently will not change. Diggs is still going to be primary, the primary shooter off the bench. Sierra is going to be the change of pace big guy. For the the person that is going to make the difference one way or the other is Davin Ziegler, who's the true freshman who's been starting in Fry's place. He went you know two or two and a half weeks without playing at all and then got in the very end of the first Toledo game, um, then had to play. His first ever start was against the return Toledo game, Played pretty well, but you know, asking him to have this learning curve as they're gunning for a regular season title, playing some pretty good teams on the road, is is tough. And we'll see whether or not um, whether or not it's going to work long term. I think the irony in this is that Bowling Green is probably a better defensive team. Ziggler's probably already their second or third best player, which is pretty rare because most freshmen typically come in more offensively advanced than defensively. Um, I don't know that the shooting is necessarily 100% there yet, but he's a great athlete. So we'll see where this goes in the next couple of weeks. Bowling Green, the schedule opens up a little bit, but looking ahead to the end of this week, a big one in Muncie against Ball State, who has been playing pretty excellent basketball themselves. Ball State's good. Ball State's good. I think they might be the best team in the West. Um, they are not record-wise there yet because Northern Illinois still has that distinction. But they're they're tough, and... They haven't lost at home in the MAC yet, and this is the type of game that's going to determine a lot about where the top four finished. Bowling Green obviously still in the mix for the one, but if they go to Muncie and lose, and particularly if Akron wins its game this weekend, this is going to be a real rock fight for the last you know four, five, six games, depending on uh, depending on when teams play. They have the bye week next Tuesday, 
So they will have a full week off. Um, that would be real nice for them to get a win going into that. So again, Bowling Green, 18-7, 9-3 in the MAC. They're sitting atop the MAC standings. I want to take a deeper dive into this, and in fact, you did this in your preview column for the game uh, that was published earlier this week in The Blade. You kind of looked at the perception surrounding Bowling Green amongst the deeper stats and the analytics. The three measures that are really used on a national platform, of course you see polls and of course you see, you know, just stats come out, but there's really algorithms that can place teams amongst other competition. And when you look at a mid-major conference like the Mid-American Conference, you're not going to expect top 10 teams all the time. So with that said, the net rankings, the Ken Pomeroy rankings, and the Sagarin rankings. And before we get into where BG is and really the rest of the MAC with all this, Nick, just kind of explain what we're talking about here when we when we say the Ken Palm rankings or the Sagarin system or the net rankings. Yeah, the net one's the big one because that's now the distinction that the NCAA will use uh, in ironing out the NCAA tournament field. This was has been tweaked a couple of different times. You may have heard the the quadrant system. It's weighted based upon where you play teams. So every game that you play, every opponent will be determined in a quadrant, one through four. Quad one wins are the best wins. Bowling Green currently has one of those because they beat a top 50 team in Cincinnati on a neutral site. So you get more credit um, if you... You get more spaces, I should say. So 1 through 75 counts as a quad win if you win on the road. They beat Cincy in a, on a neutral site, which is 1 through 50, 1 through 40 at home. Um, and then everything is tiered and weighted based upon you know your efficiency, where you played teams, um, expected versus what actually happened. And Ken Palm, mostly a measure of efficiency, offensively, defensively, with you know, several other factors that go in. These are all computer rankings. And the interesting thing about what happened with Bowling Green is that Bowling Green's record was significantly better than what all of these systems said that they were, particularly in net ranking. They were at one point had a game and a half lead in the conference and were ranked seventh in net ranking. So the, their record hasn't matched what the analytics have said about them. And I think a lot of this rest of the regular season is going to say, okay, this is a team that overperformed what its efficiency has been, or B, the numbers need to catch up to a team that is contending to win its league. So when we look at these advanced analytics and these advanced rankings and where Bowling Green is, if you look at the net rankings, the NCAA computer-generated net rankings, Bowling Green is listed at number 161. And to give a little bit of context into that, Toledo is listed at 136. And Bowling Green is the sixth best team in the MAC by those metrics. Looking at the Ken Palm rankings, Bowling Green's at 167, which is the sixth best team in the MAC behind Akron, who's at 71, Ball State, Kent State, Toledo, who's at 153, and Buffalo. In the Sagarin system, they are the fifth best team in the MAC. So if you're a BG fan, you're going to favor these a little bit. Toledo is the 8th best team in the MAC, sitting back at 173, so a little uh, reflective off the record, where right now Toledo's a team that's floating around even below 500. But just looking at the net rankings and where Bowling Green is, Nick, they're at 161, sitting one spot behind Chattanooga, who is in the SoCon. They're 13-10 right now. Two spots behind Old Dominion, who's in the Conference USA, and they're 10-15. So... 
and you asked Michael Huber about this, and, you know, of course, coaches will say, you know, we don't care about the numbers, and, you know, those aren't affecting how we game plan. But, you know, you could really see that it really doesn't make much sense as to why Bowling Green is so seemingly low on these rankings. No, uh, they, I mean, they very much say they don't care. But the, particularly with net, I mean, Toledo was 3-8 and eight going into Tuesday's game. Bowling Green was 9-2. and two. The two teams had met head-to-head, and Bowling Green trailed for not one second in either second half. So that's a pretty good measurable to me. And here we are, you know, Toledo is still 20-plus spots ahead of them. And I think a lot of the Bowling Green fans and even some of the, the people that work in the athletic department are looking at this and going, you know, what do we have to do? They beat Toledo last Saturday and actually went down a place. A lot of times, a couple times this season, they've been punished for winning. And it's like they win all these close games, and it's it's like a two-sided thing. They say the MAC is the 12th best league, and then at the same time, so it's like, okay, you're saying that the league is good, and then at the same time, Bowling Green is occasionally going down for winning in said league, mm-hmm. is, being a, is ahead of said league. So a lot of people at Bowling Green are super frustrated by how these don't line up. You can't have it both ways. I mean, honestly, if you're going to make sense of this, you got to pick one or the other. And if you look at just stats, you know, Bowling Green versus the rest of the conference. BG's fifth in the conference in scoring at just over 75 a game. But they're 10th in defense at just under 73 a game. So it's a slim margin of, you know, points per versus points allowed. But here's a metric that really caught my eye is that Bowling Green in the Mid-American Conference is number one in assist-to-turnover ratio, which means they play clean, the cleanest form of basketball by that metric in the conference, they are dishing out 1.2 assists per turnover that they commit. And I think that if you're looking into March and you're looking into the NCAA tournament, I want to expand this based on that shortly here. But if you're looking at a team like Bowling Green who has a Quadrant 1 win, and you're looking at a team like Bowling Green who leads this conference, shouldn't you take them a little more seriously in these rankings? Yeah, probably. Um, the only thing that Bowling Green truly does at an elite level is does not turn over the basketball. They've consistently been in the top five all year in turnover rate. And what that tells you is that over the course of a game, this team doesn't really give away a lot for free. They don't give away a ton of their possessions. And by not turning over the ball, they typically keep teams out of transition. So what you get in bowling against Bowling Green, most of the time you are going to have to earn in the half court. They've been really good at that. Other than that, all their efficiency metrics are just okay. So I don't know if it's a it's a veteran team that's kind of found out how to scrape out some of these wins or if it's if it's telling us something about its long-term real hopes. And once you get into tournament play, the teams that can scrape those wins out often find success. I mean, you look at the Cinderella stories of, of past, and they're those mid-major schools that always had something and that always had some just some flavor to them that when they play these close games, they find ways to eke out a win by any means. And when you look at Michael Huger and what he has, and a guy like Daquan Plowden down low, and a scorer like Justin Turner, they have those pieces. And going into Mid-American Conference tournament play in just under a month here, I feel like regardless of seeding, and that's what they're playing for right now, seeding, one, two, three, whatever Bowling Green gets, they still have a really damn good shot to win this conference. Yeah, and they have they have the the depth that you really need. I think at some point during a tournament run, 
you're going to need a bench player to come in and sincerely change a game. And the thing about Cleveland is that when you get to the queue, a lot of times the officiate, the refs, will swallow the whistle. Um, if they're really physical games, a lot of times they're ugly, and it's who cares, just move on. And that's kind of been the story of Bowling Green season. It hasn't always been pretty. I would say it hasn't even frequently been pretty. But for the most part, they have found ways to win in tight games. So I want to transform the do we care question this week into kind of a more discussion on these rankings. And we talk about efficiency and we talk about the quadrant wins. And we talk about when when we get to tournament time, it's the teams that are on the proverbial bubble. But when you're in a mid-major conference like Bowling Green, and for the fact of that matter, Toledo is, are the rankings really that indicative on anything other than the tournament at large seating, or should we be utilizing them more for these mid-major conferences? You only use the timing matters because now, yeah, it's, I mean, the Bowling Green fans aren't particularly enthused about where they are. It only matters if you win your three games in March in the tournament. So if and when you get to that point, then it matters. The <laughs> the difference right now between Akron and Bowling Green is that Akron, if they were to split these two games and you look at these two independently of one another, if Bowling Green were to win the bid based on their numbers today, they're probably a 14 seed. Akron is a, probably a 12. And the difference between the quality of opponent that you play in the first round is drastically mm-hmm. different. We all know the 12-5 upset. And then you can go Bowling Green. I mean, if they if they were to win the MAC and be a 14 seed, then you're looking about potentially playing somebody like Duke and Greensboro. Mm-hmm. That's is, that's a that's a bear of a first game. It's not a death sentence, but it's a pretty damn difficult thing to get out of. Yes, I did watch uh, with my own eyes a CJ Lee CJ McCollum led Lehigh team do that very thing. But if you can avoid it, I'd recommend it. Pride of Glen Oak High School in Canton. Yeah. If if Bowling Green met Duke as a 14-3 and Bowling Green won, that would be the biggest win in program history. Pretty convincingly. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, that <laughs> would, would be no question. Yeah, but if they if they are to go, the fun part of it is if they were to go for the first time in, you know, 52 years or whatever it's been, wouldn't you, I mean, don't you kind of want them to take a swing at somebody classic? I Absolutely. Yeah. And it would be great to see them topple them. What's interesting about these analytics is that they're largely used for predictive. Correct. Like, yes. like, like. Okay, we're going to try to compartmentalize everything that has happened, and then use that to predict. And and you can get kind of a channel of accuracy from that, but it's still like emotional people in an emotional game, and none of the, no system will ever be able to predict losing your best three-point shooter and, like, a locker room leader guy to mysterious circumstances. Correct. And I think basketball is probably the one sport more than any other where chemistry matters. Absolutely. It's like in baseball, it doesn't particularly, like, ruin a season if your right fielder and your third baseman don't get along. But in basketball, I think it sincerely helps your team when your players like each other. And... All indications that I've got through two years of covering this team is that Bowling Green's chemistry has been an asset. So it's funny you mentioned the NCAA tournament projections. So I'm just looking at two right now. I'm looking at Joe Lenardi from ESPN and then Jerry Palm from CBS, who are two of the more nationally known um, 
bracketologists. Like we're we're saying that like they're real doctors. Like they're like I'm going to go to the office and get my bracketology fixed. Mm. When when in reality, you get your bracket busted. Go see a bracketologist. Exactly. So it's funny you mentioned Bowling Green Duke because actually Joe Lenardi of ESPN as of Tuesday has Bowling Green as a 15 seed. This is the highest I've seen them seeded other than not being in the tournament. It's either been a 12 or a 13 to this point. But they have Bowling Green as a 15 seed in Greensboro facing Duke. Oh, I didn't know he knocked them down to 15. That's that's a uh, a not ideal <laughs> first game. <laughs> but this is a little more ideal. This is Jerry Palm of CBS Sports. He has Bowling Green as a 14, which is where we've seen them, playing against West Virginia, who would be a 3, and that first-round game would be in Cleveland. That's an even worse matchup. Worse matchup, better location at least. I guess, if you want to go back to Cleveland for another weekend. Is it apples to oranges, Duke or West Virginia at that point? West Virginia is the one team that... Uh, just the, the press. I think that's the one team that every mid-major champion is like, please no, please no, please no. Press Virginia, that's why they call it that. I, I'm excited. I think Bowling Green has a really nice shot. And, in fact, Nick, I know we've talked about it ad nauseum on the past couple podcasts, but just kind of your thought. I mean, in a like or dislike fashion here, the Falcons will get to the MAC tournament finals. Do you believe that they can do that? I believe they will get back to the championship game, so I'll like that. Um, simply because right now I feel pretty good that they will be one of the four teams that gets a bye straight to the quarterfinals. Um, I think they are clearly better than, you know, the bottom six teams, which is likely one of the ones that you will play in that first game. And then it it always gets fun. I mean, I was having this conversation with someone the other day that the MAC is just so tight this year, 1 through 12, that if you were assessing any any one team's chances, the smart bet is the field versus them. Obviously, someone is going to win it, but it's just so hard to look at any one of these teams and say, all right, that team's going to Cleveland, I feel pretty good that they're going to win three games. But aside from that run that Akron had, Bowling Green hung with them for the majority of the game, so maybe that was a good litmus test, even though um, they did not come away with the win there. Yeah, and that's that has been an absolute house of horrors for them. They haven't won there since 2009. They lost there 11 times in a row. So not the worst thing in the world. They lost to Akron last year, and we're right back at it at the uh, conference tournament time. The runs count, though, and, and Akron's Lauren Christian Jackson's 28 points, I'm sure were, were part of that run. I'll admit I didn't see the game, but you have seen all these games. Do you think that Jackson is the best player in the MAC, and do you think you can see Justin Turner elevating his game with the absence of Fry, or is the absence of Fry making it more too difficult for him because they can squeeze on him? Yeah, it's been... It's been an interesting argument because Turner was obviously hurt for a minute. I think argue. I think the best player in the league, the single best player in the league, is actually one of the guys we didn't mention. is Eugene German from Northern Illinois. Now, Marion Jackson from Toledo is having a player of the year type season, but you're just never going to get the love unless you're on one of the top couple teams. Turner, I think if he were to take over in a way that wins Bowling Green, the regular season championship, and he goes, you know, he puts... 30 on a couple different teams and they're winning games because other teams can't stop Justin Turner. I think it's, there's a good chance and possibly even a good, possibly even likely that he is the league player of the year. A lot to be played out still. Bowling Green still has a handful of games and 
Well, they get Akron again, February 25th, uh, this one at the Stroh Center. But at Ball State, I would call it the Nick Petrovich Bowl versus Ohio. BG, the team he covers, versus Ohio, the team he, the school he represents. I yeah, see I the Bobcats hoodie on right now. And the shirt. Do you have the, the shirt to match? Do I, I, I have so much. I can't wear any OU stuff to cover games, obviously, but I have so much of it that I'm just, like, relegated to, like, 25% of my wardrobe when I'm actually going out on assignment. <laughs> That's mine with orange apparel. I have more Syracuse apparel than the average person probably should, which, look, I went there. I paid to go to school there, so I will do that. And I have no issue doing it at all. So I will not, I will not do the same for you either. I, I, I support that. Where's your who, whose school spirit you got today, Phil? I'm representing Team Flower Print here with uh, <laughs> sort of denim and uh, bronze undertone. So you know, I, I I have I have degrees from Ohio State and Northwestern, and I maintain to my family that I chose those schools just based on the overall color palette they give me to work with. Purple and red. Purple. Scarlet, excuse me. Scarlet and purple and silver and black and white. You can go a lot of places with those. Now, I, I allow myself both the tints and shades, so, mm-hmm. right, it's good. Uh, I, I'm hungry now because we started talking about food before we recorded the podcast, and I dropped the Swensons in here because, number one, they follow me on Twitter. Number two, the, the podcast is still unsponsored. And number three, because I just want Let's get Swensons on the phone. And if Swensons caught if Swenson's dropped in right now and said, hey, we'll, we'll airlift you a galley boy and some teasers, I will be outside waiting for it to drop. Syracuse Pantone color PMS1665C, and their hex color, in case you need it for a screen, D44500. 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 I was, That's super nerdy. You wear a Syracuse shirt with, like, that number on it. It's like, that would be... I'll have to go pitch that. I know some people in athletic marketing. I'll have to pitch that as, like, the next, like slogan shirt you're going to be doing more of the technical producing if you're going to be wearing hex color shirts (laughs) oh anyway so scott is not here for the second week he has fatherly duties to attend to which is by no means anything to knock so scott uh we will we will forego the editor's perspective this week and for now we will sign off here on glass city game time but first nick any final thought any final word any more swenson's bashing you might want to do no i typically i i save the swenson's bashing i just i love when someone asks me with stars in their eyes have you been swenson's and i go actually i hate swenson's <laughs> like the, i like the full wrestling heel it he just, raised like, his arm when he did that he raised in, in i don't i don't hate it but it's in aggression it's, it's, a, it's a it's an average burger between two pieces of cake mm. that's it We'll get, wow, we'll get Nick cutting the promo of like holding the galley. Do you know boy what? Up. Do you know what people? Now it's not a specific like entity; it's just a kind of who. But people, especially around around here, they just love corn on the cob. And I think what? Cor- I think corn on the cob is just like okay, really. People just love. They think it, you know, when corn's in season. Oh, you gotta get butter and the salt and pepper. Oh, it's just so good. And it's like I like butter and salt and pepper on something hot. Yeah, it's alright. The gradient between when it's really good and when it's just okay though is very big. When you get like when you get corn on the cob, when it's right, super the right snappy, of weeks, mm, yeah, hard yeah, it is better than the other stuff. But to, again, to me, is okay. It's like that yeah, hot okay. day you're cutting grass and you go reach for the cob. <laughs> the the perfect after the cutting the grass corn on the cob. I don't know if that's it. Might be. I mean, you need your veggies. You need to refuel. Helps a little bit. I mean, corn on the cob, so al, al fresco dining, hot summer day, Northwest Ohio. We were talking sure. pre-show. Those listening, we were talking pre-show about McDoubles 
because Nick Nick said he went to the McDonald's the other day and had a McDouble, and like Phil brought that up that that's a pretty good after grass cutting meal. Yeah, to just munch down on that McDouble and just you're done. That's the end of it. And the coldest beer that's allowable in the universe. The mountains, the blue mountains. I'm not Could a, be. Whatever you however yeah. cold a beer that you can get, whatever you choose. I'm not a blue mountains guy. I'm I'm a supporter of a different um variety. But <laughs> if if that's Are we your still fix, looking for sponsors. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to eke by the, the I just threshold. think I just think like I mean I like all kinds of beer and I like um uh craft beers but there mm-hmm. each beer has its place and you want that like cold crisp refreshing light lighter beer whatever it may be low calorie ideally yeah it's just it's just to, o- to the, offset the, the calories. hot weather should just melt away all your snobbery i want like yeah i, I mean I, cold i, I like agree. i do like i, I like agree all whatever ranges. it is ice cold though yeah you're already pun intended melted down from 90 degree heat sweating you know, wearing a, a pair of basketball shorts in your bad shoes, cutting grass. Mm, you all have those. That, pop that Zima top from the back <laughs> of the freezer, leaving right. it in there just You've before. done too far. You've done too much. <laughs> haven't they recreated Zima? Yeah. I I haven't tasted it. Like, truly, I've had truly. I've had, um, like, the, the White Claw. I've had, like, well, the, the Seltzer the Revolution is, a, is upon us. Mm-hmm. I think Zima helped usher, usher that back in, and people were like, I would drink something like this, but not Zima. Zima was the original White Claw. Well, Zima was the original like it was it was it was it was malt liquor in in the mall. You know, it was it's like it 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 looks like Sprite, but then when you drink it you're like, "Oh, this it's actually like viscous. It's mm. heavy and syrupy like malt liquor." Cuz it's malt liquor. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't tell you on that one. I told you. Um, you can count it. Do you, you have take- a final thought to Kitchen, whether it's food or sports or what is the next? What's the next big contest coming up for our teams? What's the next local big game? Well, silence. Uh, I'm BG, thinking. Uh, BG goes to Ball State this Saturday. When does Ohio State Michigan play each other again? I don't know. I'm asking because I don't know either. Let me look. So Bowling Green at at Ball State. Each of those are birds. I would recommend um, a gas dumbest. station fried chicken. Mm. with a cayenne-based hot sauce of your choice to watch that game. That's my final thought. We're just going to keep slipping it in there. We're going to we're gonna keep trying. Oh, Michigan doesn't play Ohio State until March 1st, so we are a couple weeks away from that. You talk about teams that have a you – know, where, like, analytics fail prediction. The, the Big Ten also has a lot to, like – ultimately you just look are going to look back on it when it's done and be like, that's the way it went. Yeah. It's, it's like unpredictable at this point. It's a bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah. I, we all spend time before the year asking who's good, and the answer this year might sincerely be mm. nobody. <laughs> and that's okay. And that's just okay. As for me, a final thought would be: uh, I really want Swenson's now. Anyway, thanks to those of you <laughs> listening, we greatly always appreciate it. Your patronage to Glass City Game Time. Please feel free to leave a like rating. We always appreciate that. You can check us out on iTunes. You can check us out on Google Play, on Spotify, basically wherever podcasts are found. And all we ask is that you leave a like rating and share this episode. So, for Nick Petrovich, for Phil Kaplan, my name is Corey Crisson. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.